Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. How is 2023 going so far for y'all? Now, we're in the last full week of January. By now, you should have been actively working on those vision board goals, my friends. And for my couples, y'all don't forget that Valentine's Day is only a few weeks away. So as parents, we can forget about this. We've just gone through a major holiday season with Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you want a break, huh? Well, Valentine's Day is for lovers. So don't skip this one. Make this one special. Now, traditionally, women have gotten away with skipping buying gifts for your man, right? Buying gifts for your boo. Because we say it's really our holiday, right? It's for us. It's for me to get candy and flowers. I don't have to buy a gift. Stop it, y'all. Let's not do that in 2023. Go ahead, moms, dads. Let's put a little effort in this year. And for my guys, a blender or a kitchen appliance is not considered a romantic gift. So you cannot say you have not been told. Okay. Even if she says she wants the, you know, I want the KitchenAid mixer, right? Because we all want a KitchenAid mixer. She's not talking about for Valentine's Day. Buy that on a random day. Buy that for Mother's Day, okay? Buy that for Mother's Day in May. But this is your, your you know, thoughtful gift. Your gift to show you love that other, that special someone, that, that person in your life now. And this is also one of my biggest holidays because you know what? It's conception time. Time to have more babies. I love it. All right, now it's time to talk about the third trimester. So we'll discuss making it to the 32nd week. Now, if you're new to the podcast or a little bit behind, make sure to go back and listen to the episodes on weeks 8, 12, and 20, and then listen to this one so that you can make sure you're following the gestational age from the beginning of the pregnancy to the end. So 32 weeks is a big deal, y'all. You actually have a big baby that is moving and grooving on the inside. So, you know, 20 weeks, we're like, do you feel the baby move? Maybe. I haven't felt my baby move yet. Oh, when am I going to feel the baby move? 32 weeks, this baby is moving. It's moving so much, you can't sleep at night. You're up at night because the baby keeps kicking. You eat, the baby kicks. You try to breathe, guess what? The baby knocks the wind out of you. Right. You feel a real baby. You can feel a foot. You can tell what's ahead and what's a foot and what's a butt because you're 32 weeks. Right. And at 32 weeks, your baby's around four pounds, three and a half to four pounds. And your baby is a foot long, some over a foot long. So that's a nice size little melon you have right there. Your belly, your bump is not a bump anymore. It's a melon that you're carrying. Okay, you have a belly. You can't hide your pregnancy at this point. You are really pregnant. Now, your baby's survivability is super high. 
It's about 95% with neurologically intact survivability being high as well, over 85%. And what I mean by that is that if you happen to deliver in the 32nd week, 95% of the time that baby's going to survive. And over 85% of the time, that baby is not going to have any long-term neurological deficits, meaning walk, talk, go to school with the kids its own age, not have any developmental delay, okay? Now, this gestational age is considered the moderate preterm gestational age. It starts that moderate preterm period of the pregnancy. And that period is 32 to 34 weeks, okay? And it's the gestational age that really all maternal fetal medicine physicians and your OBGYNs pray that you can make it to. If everybody made it to 30 seconds, two weeks, man, we would be in a much better place. We'd be in a much better place with childhood illnesses because a lot of childhood illnesses and poor immune systems are linked to prematurity. Even asthma is linked to chronic lung disease. Okay. So we can all make it to 32 weeks, man, we'd be doing really, really well, but we know that not everybody makes it to 32 weeks. So if you made it to 32 weeks, you should be doing a happy dance right now. You should be celebrating. You should be getting ready for this baby. Go back and listen to my episode on nesting because you should be nesting right at this point because this is a happy period of the pregnancy. Now, your baby is starting to do practice breathing. You might even feel hiccups and the baby bouncing around in there at this gestational age. Practice breathing, hiccups, that's signs of fetal well-being. That tells us this baby is healthy. This baby has a low risk of having anything like a stillbirth. We're moving, we're grooving, we're doing good. You feeling the hiccups? That's a good sign. Okay. The organs of your baby are maturing with the brain reaching the maximum size around this gestational age. And it's just maturing from then on out. The biggest thing that's maturing is going to be the lungs that are still maturing at 32 weeks. And we still have a bit more maturing to do because that's the thing that would keep a baby in the NICU if born at 32 weeks. It's usually the lungs, chronic, you know, the lungs being underdeveloped, okay? Now, babies also are going to be growing rapidly, okay? Yeah. So about a third a pound a week is what this baby is growing. And as for you, mom, your body is changing too. So you're starting to crave more because this rapid weight gain period of the baby, you're ingesting more too. And so you're gaining weight as well. So you have more cravings. And sometimes those cravings are weird combinations. You know, people are like, oh, that the pickles with the peppermint I'm eating. I'm craving that. Pickles with hot sauce. You know, I'm craving, you know, chicken with the watermelon. You know, the combination cravings are what I think is sometimes strange, but it sounds good to pregnant women. So if it's not poisonous, go for it, right? Go ahead and go for it. A lot of y'all maybe craving sweets, right? And if you had a pregnancy like I did, my husband wanted me to eat whatever I could eat. And that may have meant he drove to the airport to get me a chocolate dip brownie from the Savannah Chocolate Factory, uh, okay? So if you have gestational diabetes, don't do that. Don't let your husband feed you those sweet stuff. You can't afford to do that. And by now, you should know if you have gestational diabetes, okay? You should have gotten screened somewhere around 26 to 30 weeks. So you know whether you pass that test or not. And if you didn't pass that test, please don't eat any brownies, okay? 
you get you should have a you know a cheat day a week is what I usually give my patients, but I'm not telling you to have a cheat day. Talk to your OBGYN and your MFM to make sure you can have an occasional cheat day. I give my people that are at goal, meaning very well regulated, a cheat meal a week, but uh, everybody's different when it comes to that. Now, if you do have gestational diabetes, you can do some alternatives, right? You can do some sugar-free cookies. You can do some, uh, you know, stevia as a sweetener as opposed to real sugar. So there are alternatives you can get to get that sweet taste without the actual sugar. When you're taking a shower, you look down and you're like, oh my God, my areola, they're big now, right? The areolas are bigger now. They are darker because of the hormonal changes in pregnancy and your breasts are bigger now. They're increasing in size. Some people may even have leakiness from their breasts. I'm starting to produce milk. I'm starting to drip milk. That's a good problem to have, okay? That means that your milk production, your glands are starting to mature and you will be able to get that colostrum going after this baby is born or even some milk. Now, y'all know my story. If you followed the YouTube channel, we had that going before. You know that my pet peeve was picking on moms that breastfed, didn't, didn't breastfeed well because I was one of those that was an under producer, okay? I, I tried to... You know, and I'm well endowed and I thought the Lord blessed me with these big old boobs and I'm going to be able to produce milk and I could not. Okay. So the size does not mean necessarily that you're going to be a super producer. The people that are super producer are using my patients to have little bitty, little bitty titty committee people, super producers of breast milk, surprisingly. Um, people that are well endowed can produce as well, but I just remember being highly disappointed because I'm so endowed and couldn't really produce. But so if you're already leaking milk, don't have that as a complaint. Put a breast pad on and keep going and thank uh, God that you are starting to produce milk, okay? You should get concerned if your milky, your discharge has blood to it. That's something you should let your OBGYN know. Hey, I'm having a bloody discharge. But just milk or clear discharge, that's very natural at 32 weeks, okay? Now, you might start to experience a little bit of heartburn, okay? If you haven't experienced it in the first trimester, it's revving up now because progesterone slows down digestion to your GI tract. So that your stomach has more time to sit there. And then there's going to be more and more acid that's secreted to try to break that food down. So you can have more and more heartburn. Pepsid is your friend. Okay. You can buy it over the counter. Pepsid is your friend. If that doesn't work, like uh, in the previous episode, they can always start you on you know, a, a proton pump inhibitor like a like a protonics. Okay, that would be uh, what you would need to be started on if Pepsid did not get it. Okay. Now, some women, because of rapid weight gain of the baby, which I said is about 30 pounds a week, um, that means their uterus is also stretching to keep up. So some patients start to have Braxton Hicks contractions. And you can treat this by making sure you stay really hydrated. And remember, you should be drinking 80 to 100 ounces of water a day. So make sure you get the water in. You might also experience a little vaginal discharge. Now, some even start losing their mucus plug at this time. So you have, you know, glands that secrete mucus to keep the vagina lubricated. Those glands are in the cervix. So you're going to have this sort of mucus plug in the cervix. So as your cervix starts to thin out and ripen, you can start to lose your mucus plug. That happens around 32, 34 weeks. This isn't a bad thing, but if you have a lot of discharge combined with contractions, you need to let your OBGYN know so that your cervix can be checked. 
All right, y'all. So now that we know a little bit more about being 32 weeks pregnant, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 19-year-old who is 32 weeks and three days pregnant with her first child. She has no medical problems. She presents to the ER due to bloody vaginal discharge. She called the on-call line and was told by the nurse that this is likely her mucus plug, but to come into the hospital if she has more pressure or regular contractions. After the call, she started feeling lower abdominal cramping with continued bloody mucus-like discharge. You were consulted for further evaluation due to concerns with preterm labor. 32 weeks, we have blood tinge, vaginal discharge. You know, could this be a mucus plug? Well, yes, because the, the mucus plug is usually like, almost like a dark brownish mucusy. can have a little bit of blood if your cervix is starting to efface. So a bloody mucusy plug of stuff, you know, almost like snot with a little bit of blood in it, that is going to be considered your mucus plug. You, know, you always need to be evaluated if you're having contractions with the loss of a mucus plug or discharge because one, we can mistake mucus and discharge and it actually be that your water's broken and you're having contractions. So one, we need to do a sterile speculum exam to look at your cervix to see if we see mucus or if we see actual fluid with mucus coming through your cervix, Okay. And so your OBGYN will do a a speculum exam and also check this discharge to make sure that it's not amniotic fluid. Check for amniotic fluid by doing either a fetal fibronectin, which is a test that tells us if the membranes have started to separate from the inside of the uterus, okay, or which could mean that you're, you're, you're more likely to go into labor in the next seven days if it's positive. If it's negative, it's reassuring. Or they could check with what's called a ROM plus or an amniosure. Those are two different tests. Basically do the same thing. Um, they are testing a protein that's an amniotic fluid. So they're going to swab it. It's 99% sensitive for amniotic fluid specifically because it's testing a protein in there. Um, they're just two different tests made by different companies, but they're doing the same thing. So if those are positive, then that means, hey, you've likely ruptured, your water's broken, and then your OBGYN will probably put you inpatient to see if you are going to go into full-fledged labor, okay? Now, usually when people have ruptured early, if you're not in labor, meaning your cervix is not really dilated much, your contractions aren't, you know, frequent or regular, they can put you in the hospital and try to get you further in the pregnancy. And now they can get you anywhere from 34 to 36 weeks and then deliver you. Back in the day, meaning before 2020, we used to get people to 34 weeks and then pull out. Once 2020 came, which honestly was in the middle of the pandemic, you know, the newer guidelines said, hey, we can actually push people to the 36 week if they're stable. Okay, but there's a risk if you're ruptured that you can get an infection. The longer you're ruptured, you can start bleeding or have a placental abruption where that the placenta separates from the inside wall of the uterus. You can develop an infection inside of your uterus called chorioamnionitis. There's an episode of the podcast on that. Go back and listen. And then you can have core prolapse where the baby's cord, since that head isn't engaged, can prolapse through the cervix into the vagina and be compressed, which can cut off blood supply to the baby. There's things that can happen with prolonged rupture. So some people still say, hey, as soon as somebody hits 34 weeks, we're getting out. Some people, if you're super stable, will keep you pregnant even longer than that, okay? Or wait till you naturally go into labor. 
So I would make sure I evaluate you for that. The next thing, even if you're not ruptured that we need to do is see if this blood is from cervical change. Is it just that you have like dark red, little dark red blood in the mucus just because of the mucus plug or is your cervix effacing, meaning thinning out and starting to dilate? So you need your cervix checked. We need to put you on the monitor and see how frequently you're having contractions. And if you are contracting regularly, meaning about every 10 minutes for an hour or six times in an hour, then we would monitor you for a little longer to see if your cervix is starting to change. If your cervix changes or you already have a significant cervical dilation, that's also another reason to put you in the hospital. With people that are ruptured, we usually don't give you medicines to stop labor. We watch you. We give you steroids to help accelerate the baby's lung maturity because remember I said that's the thing that's still really maturing. And if you're ruptured, we also give you what's called latency antibiotics. Those are antibiotics to help delay the onset of labor, okay? If you're not ruptured, we can hydrate you. We can still give you steroids if your cervix is already dilating. And we can try to give you medicines to try to slow down your labor. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't work. Sometimes it really depends on the cause, okay? And of course, we need to rule out reasons you're contracted. Are you infected? We already talked about rupture, but have you? are you sick? Do you have a virus of some sort that's allowing your uterus not to get enough oxygen to it? And so you're going into preterm labor. So we look at all of those factors to see why exactly you are starting to dilate. So that is the workup I would do here with this patient. Uh, I know that was a thorough explanation because it's sort of an explanation between if you're in labor versus if you're in labor and ruptured, okay? There's also a possibility that you're not in labor at all and it's just a mucus plug with, you know, uh, you know, some bloody discharge, okay? Because mucus plugs are a little bit bloody, okay? So that's still a possibility. The case pearl for this case is any discharge that is blood tinge requires an evaluation for preterm labor. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 43-year-old who is 32 weeks and one day pregnant, also with her first child. She has a history of chronic hypertension for which she takes labetalol. Her blood pressures at home have been mostly in the mild range for the last week. Her OBGYN told her to monitor her symptoms. She hasn't had a headache or blurry vision, but last night she started feeling more short of breath than usual. She was told by her mom that her shortness of breath was likely due to the baby. However, she feels very uncomfortable with worsening heartburn and difficulty breathing with walking. So she came to the triage area for further evaluation. Since she is a high-risk pregnancy patient, you were consulted. A couple things. Could could our mom be right in the shortness of breath is just due to the baby? Absolutely, right? Your uterus is growing. Your diaphragm can't be depressed. You can't really take a deep breath. So sometimes it is a struggle. Like you walk in a little bit and you're like, you know, huffing and puffing. You can barely catch your breath. Can be completely normal. Okay. So I know I always go to extreme, but let me reiterate. This can be a completely normal symptom. She has shortness of breath. She's 32 weeks pregnant and she has heartburn. Okay. All very temporary because it's pregnant. Throw some, you know, it to try to treat that heartburn and go from there, right? The thing that gives me a little bit of pause and makes me have to evaluate her is she has a couple risk factors that I want to make sure nothing else is going on, okay? She has high blood pressure. 
her blood pressures in the last week have been elevated. That's an acute change. Okay, it didn't say she has a history of uncontrolled high blood pressure for all whole pregnancy. It said in the last week, her blood pressures have been mild range. So that's a change. Why are your blood pressures mild range now? Do we need to work you up for preeclampsia? Because this is different than your baseline. And I would, I would argue that, yes, I would make sure she doesn't have preeclampsia. She's 43. No, mama, you're not old, right? I have several women in their 40s. I'm in the 40s club as well with a three-year-old. So no, you're not old. There are plenty of women in their 40s, even late 40s, early 50s that have safe pregnancies. But you have high blood pressure. Your blood pressures have been elevated. You're 43 and you have shortness of breath. I got to make sure nothing else is going on. Things that make me have to rule, that I have to rule out, Number one, preeclampsia. Why? You got a sevenfold increased risk with that, with chronic hypertension, meaning high blood pressure that existed before the pregnancy, and you're over age 35. You got two risk factors there. The second thing I got to rule out is that some underlying heart disease isn't happening, okay? You're uncomfortable at home. You got difficulty uh, when you're walking around, and you have heartburn. Could this heartburn really be chest pain, Okay. Chest pain, shortness of breath in somebody that's in their 40s with long-standing high blood pressure, I got to make sure nothing else is going on, like a heart attack or cardiomyopathy, which is, you know, peripartum cardiomyopathy, which is heart disease because of the impact of the pregnancy on the heart. So I'm going to get an EKG, okay, with electrocardiogram to look at the rhythm of the heart. And I'm also going to order an echo to make sure that your heart function is normal and that we don't have any increased pressure in the lungs, okay, that can cause us to have some shortness of breath and that we have normal ejection of uh, blood going out of the heart. I have to do it, okay? I have to do it. And then I'm going to make sure that I look at whether you have preeclampsia. You already have elevated blood pressures above your baseline. So now I need to see, Hey, what's your kidney function? What's your liver function doing? What's, uh, how much protein do you have in your urine? Okay, we have a YouTube episode and a podcast episode on preeclampsia. I feel like I can't do enough episodes on preeclampsia because it's common in black women. I got to rule those very common things out. And while I'm ruling those things out with those labs, that can point me in the direction of other things. Now, of course, I'm going to do a full physical exam. Do I hear fluid in the lungs that could make me think that she's in pulmonary edema, meaning you have fluid on your lungs. That's what's causing you not to breathe. That can happen with heart disease or cardiomyopathy. And that can happen with preeclampsia. You can also have what's called flash pulmonary edema with both of those conditions. Or can, is it caused by something else? Okay. Do you have pneumonia that's causing this? Okay. We're just getting through flu season. Have you been sick? And that's why you have shortness of breath. And people that are sick, they can have elevated blood pressure and elevated pulse. So I got to make sure that I'm doing a thorough physical exam and a thorough workup, especially in people that have underlying medical condition and that are a little bit older in pregnancy. Okay, we have to make sure that we are safe. And so that may mean that you need to stay in the hospital a day or two until we know exactly what's going on. But you came to triage. Don't expect to go home today with this clinical picture. We're going to keep you and monitor you because we want to make sure that you get safety through the pregnancy. Okay. So the case pro for this case is in patients with known risk factors, cardiac condition, even with vague symptoms must be ruled out. 
Now, like I said, it could all be normal, but it still warrants a workup. All right, medical intern, what's our email question for today? It says, hey, Dr. Plenty, thanks so much for doing the podcast. I am a faithful listener. I've made it to 32 weeks this pregnancy with a surclage. This is my third pregnancy. My first two pregnancies were early deliveries at 18 weeks and 22 weeks without a surclage. So I've never made it this far and don't know what to expect. I've started to have more lower abdominal pressure and am worried about delivering early. What happens if I start contracting? Will my surclage be removed? And if so, how long would I expect my baby to be in the NICU if I deliver right after it was removed? All right. So first off, congratulations on making it in 32 weeks. Okay. You can breathe a little bit lighter. I know you're nervous. You've never made it this far, but you can really breathe a little bit lighter this pregnancy. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with your two previous pregnancy losses. Okay. As somebody that has had a pregnancy loss myself, it is, it's devastating and everybody handles losses a little bit different, but regardless, it's still a, a pain that exists within you forever. I mean, you will never forget those pregnancies. So I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but uh, I know that, you know, because you've never made it this far that this pregnancy is a different pregnancy. Okay. This baby's going home with you. Let's talk about that pressure you're experiencing. That lower abdominal pressure you're experiencing is because the weight of the baby is heavy. You got a four pound baby right now. It's heavy. So you are going to feel pressure in your pelvis. Make sure you're wearing a maternity belt to help support your lower back and lower abdomen so you won't have have as much pressure in your pelvis. So some of that could be normal. But if you start contracting and you have irregular contractions and they put you on the monitor and they see those, if you're bleeding, they will automatically take the surclage out. If you're not bleeding, then most OBGYNs or MFM physicians will hydrate you and try to see if they can stop your contractions or slow them down. Let's say they give you medicines to hide uh, what medicines to stop your contractions, like Procardia or Terbutaline, you know, uh, to stop or slow down your contractions. And they hydrate you and it doesn't work. If you're banging out contractions every two, three minutes, and they're concerned that you're stretching through that surclage, at 32 weeks, most people would take the surclage out. It doesn't mean you're going to just all of a sudden start to dilate. It doesn't mean you're going to deliver right then. Um, it could be still weeks before you deliver. They can take the surclage out and you're one centimeter and you stay that way. They can take it out and you're four centimeters and you still stay that way. Everybody is different. So we can't really predict what exactly is going to happen if they take the surclage out. Let's talk about worst case scenarios. Let's say that they take the surclage out and you go into full-fledged labor, okay? If you deliver at 32 weeks, that baby is going to have a 95% chance of survival. Do I expect the baby to get intubated at 32 weeks? Yes, if you, especially if you have not gotten steroids. Now, if they take the surclage out because you're contracting, nine times out of 10, you've at least gotten one dose of steroids on board, Okay because that helps accelerate lung maturity. But if you come in and you're bleeding and they have to take it out immediately and you don't, then 32-week babies, yeah, they probably will need to be intubated. Um, some 32-week babies without uh, with steroids don't need to be intubated, but they will get what's called surfactant, which are steroid injections out after delivery to help accelerate lung maturity. And they may have to get a face mask or a BiPAP um, for the baby 
to help ventilate the baby. Okay, so the baby will need some assistance breathing, whether that's with, you know, uh, BiPAP or uh, or with, uh, you know, intubation. Okay, so I do anticipate the baby will need to go to the NICU. And I always tell my patients for every week a baby is born early, that's a week in the NICU. So if you spend you deliver at 32 weeks, full term is 40 weeks. That could be about eight weeks in the NICU. You're talking about two months. So if you baby gets out before that, fabulous. But I want you to get mentally prepared that there'll be days you're like, they're like, oh, this baby's doing great. And then all of a sudden the baby needs to be back on oxygen. Oh, the baby's doing great. We got the baby off. Baby needs to be back on oxygen. It is a up and down, up and down roller coaster until you get out of there. Okay. But I still expect your baby to do very well. But that is eight weeks. I expect babies to be in the NICU at 32 weeks. Steroids drop that time in half, which is why we try to get Two doses of betamethasone or dexamethasone. Those are the two steroids that cross the placenta to help accelerate the baby's lungs. They usually decrease the time significantly, usually in half of the time. So if you say 32 weeks, how much time did my baby with steroids that has steroids at least 48 hours stay in the NICU? About a month. Without steroids, about about two months. Okay, that's the general rule of thumb. But that can be shorter or a little bit more depending on the baby, Okay. Um, we know that ethnicity matters and so does gender. Caucasian babies have a higher NICU rate than African-American babies. We don't know why. It's just a thing. Little boys don't do as well as little girls. That's just a thing. Little girls walk out of there faster. Little black girls walk out the fastest. Okay. So we don't know why that is. But we do know that although little black boys get out before little white boys, we know that the mortality is much higher in Caucasian boys than it is in little black boys. Okay, some of that has to do with a lot of environmental factors. But uh, as moms that listen to this podcast, I know that you guys are on it and you're advocating for yourself and your babies. So I always tell moms that have babies in the queue take pictures, take notes, ask your questions, make sure you notate what your baby's on or your baby's on. BiPAP, CPAP, intubated, your baby's on oxygen, this many liters, write that stuff down so that you know what's going on with your baby and why they're doing certain things to your baby, okay? And you'll have different people in the NICU that round. If a plan changes, make sure you ask, why did that plan change? Yesterday, Dr. Such and Such said this, what changed here? Okay, so that you can make sure you're getting understanding so that you can advocate for your baby, okay? But to answer your question, 32 weeks, I anticipate your baby's going to do well. But nothing you've said in your in your question has made me think they need to take the cerclage out because pressure at 32 weeks in the lower abdomen is very normal. All right, medical intern, I think that that's our last case or question. And she's shaking her head. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope you learned a little bit more about being 32 weeks pregnant. And if you... Like what you've learned, please support by rating and commenting on the show on whatever platform you listen to and make sure to share with your friends. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. And you can also catch up on my YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. 
In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a Mean Old Lion Media production.